0: UAB MedCast is an ongoing medical education podcast. The UAB Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please visit uabmedicine.org slash medcast and complete the episode's post-test. Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals, bringing knowledge to your world. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing mechanical thrombectomy for stroke. Joining me in this panel discussion are Dr. Michael Lyerly. He's a neurologist in vascular neurology and an associate professor at UAB Medicine, and Dr. Elizabeth Liptrap. She's a neuroendovascular and vascular neurosurgeon and an assistant professor at UAB Medicine. Doctors, I'm so glad to have you on today and what an exciting topic, so much happening with mechanical thrombectomy. Dr. Lyrely, I'd like to start with you. If you would explain a little bit about pre-hospital management and field treatment, tell us what's important as far as latest clinical guidelines for stroke.
1: Absolutely. Um, As I think a lot of people are aware, stroke is a highly time-sensitive diagnosis and it really starts with detection in the field by either the patient or a bystander and having that patient quickly entered into a stroke system of care by way that they can get access to a hospital as quickly as possible. Uh, right now, we don't have any treatments that we can offer somebody who is having an acute stroke in the field because the first step that really has to be done is they have to get to a hospital quickly so that they can undergo imaging studies, usually with a contra- a non-contrasted head CT scan. As we'll talk about, we're doing more studies now to uh, further investigate that and ex- have expanded our diagnostic studies once the patient gets to the hospital. But really, there's not a whole lot going on in terms of treating the patient in the field yet right now. Where things are starting to evolve um, is with mechanical thrombectomy, not every hospital is able to offer that therapy. And a small proportion of patients who are having an ischemic stroke would benefit from getting to a hospital that has these capabilities of treatment. And in order to do that, what's being done in the field now is trying to better triage a patient, which means determining what type of stroke that they might be having. If the stroke is severe enough that they may be having a stroke because of a large vessel occlusion, and then determining what's the optimal hospital for them to go to. Once they get to a hospital that is able to offer endovascular care, we're starting to do more multimodal imaging now, including CT angiograms and CT perfusion scans, in order to identify if the patient does have evidence of a large vessel occlusion, and if so, if there is salvageable brain tissue that might be amenable to a reperfusion therapy.
0: Well, thank you for answering. A question I was just going to ask about brain and vascular imaging and what's new and exciting. Dr. Lyerly, sticking with you just for a minute, what is new and exciting as far as vascular imaging?
1: Well, these studies are not new studies per se. It's that we're using them for a new application. CT angiograms and CT perfusion scans have been around for years, if not decades. But what we're doing now is we've learned that using CT perfusion scans, we can more reliably determine what area of a brain that has, is having a stroke has irreversible damage versus what area potentially has salvageable tissue. Many of our listeners may have heard the term penumbra before, which basically means a an area of brain that has become stunned, but not necessarily irreversibly damaged because of lack of blood flow. And that's really the name of our game, is trying to identify what area of the brain can we potentially save, and that's what the CT perfusion scan is offering for us now. Another new development is we have uh, new processing software. In the past, it was uh, quite an undertaking to process the images from a CT perfusion scan, particularly in a timely manner to be able to return them to a clinician to make a timely treatment decision. Now we have computer automated algorithms that can rapidly uh, interpret the images that come through and provide those images in a very easy to understand color map to help a clinician make a quick treatment decision to determine, is this a patient that we should be taking to the um, the catheterization lab?
0: And before we discuss the use of endovascular interventions, Dr. Lairley, Tell us about the use of TPA and its implications for rapid response treatment.
1: Right, right. So TPA or alteplase has been really the mainstay of acute stroke treatment. And when we're talking about stroke, we're talking about ischemic stroke. This has been around for a little over 20 years now, so we have quite a bit of experience with it. TPA is a clot-busting medicine that can hopefully restore blood flow to an artery that is blocked off, although the benefit really only helps about one in three patients. So a large uh, majority of our patients still don't receive the full blood benefit of recanalization after they receive alteplase. There are some downsides to the medication, including risk of hemorrhage or uh, an anaphylactic reaction, but it right now remains the only FDA-approved medication for somebody who's having an acute ischemic stroke. Um, so that's been our mainstay treatment and all that we've had to offer a patient, but uh, over the past decade, as we've seen more and more patients coming in with um, very large strokes, particularly due to large blood clots, we've realized that TPA is just not going to be enough. That medication can start to eat away at the end of a clot, but at the end of the day, it's very unlikely to be able to dissolve a large blood clot that causes a large vessel occlusion. And so for those patients up until uh, several years ago, we really have not had much that we can offer those patients. And that's really where uh, mechanical thrombectomy comes in as a new option that we can use to treat these patients.
0: Dr. Liptrap, on to you. So tell us about the use of those endovascular interventions such as mechanical thrombectomy. What are the latest clinical guidelines for indications for use? Um, So
2: the latest clinical guidelines are that um, patients can be treated um, sometimes up to 24 hours. Um, as Dr. Larley had mentioned previously regarding the use of um, these CTA, CTE angiograms, CT perfusion scans and the software that can rapidly um, uh, process um, that imaging. Um, that has helped us identify patients who, um, although they presented later, could potentially benefit from um from thrombectomy. In the past, um, it was thought that, you know, patients could be treated if they presented within six hours of symptom onset, but there have been new clinical trials that showed that certain subsets of patients, if they have favorable um, imaging showing that there is um, a decent amount of of brain volume to be saved could benefit um, from mechanical thrombectomy. So, uh, you know, Dr. Lyerly or someone from his team will often contact us, um, letting us know that there's a patient who's a potential candidate. Um, And once the patient is in the hospital, then we um, assess the patient together um, and often they'll undergo um, uh, vessel imaging and possibly perfusion studies to um, determine if the patient's a candidate. Um, And then... Uh, sometimes we'll have the patient uh, be um, intubated um, if needed prior to the procedure. Um, and then we'll take the patient to our angio suite where we have a team um, that call, uh, that is either already in the hospital or you know within 30 minutes of the hospital. Uh, and we'll um, take the patient for the procedure then.
0: Well, Dr. Liptrap, tell us a little bit about patient selection and why that's such an important aspect of this. Is this treatment for everyone who's had a stroke, or are there certain patients for whom this is not an option?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So um, the reason why there had been the time limit in the past was the was the thought that you know after six hours or a certain time frame the. Amount of brain tissue that was going to be um, damaged by the uh, um, vessel occlusion would be, uh, you know, completely gone. And so, if there's no brain that can uh, be saved, it's not worth putting the patient through the risk of the procedure. Because, you know, as with any procedure, there are risks involved. Um, you can have injury to uh, blood vessels. You, once the um, blood clot has been taken out, sometimes there can be um, bleeding into the damaged brain tissue. Um, and while the procedure is often, uh, you know, can be beneficial, um, the, there certainly are risks and we don't want to put the patient at risk um, if there's not going to be a benefit.
0: Well, tell us a little bit, Dr. Lierly, of the benefits of this treatment versus other treatments to the patient and to the provider.
1: As I mentioned, uh, alteplase or uh, TPA, the clot-busting drug, is really only effective in about one in three patients. Uh, Mechanical thrombectomy uh, originally um, had uh, some good data, but the more studies that have been done, the more we've actually seen some pretty phenomenal results come out of it. Um, We've seen numbers upward of uh, the mid to high 80% of patients actually getting that blood vessel completely reopened. Um, That doesn't necessarily always translate to a clinical benefit. Just because we can get a blood vessel open, um, if damage has already been done, that may not translate to meaningful clinical improvement for the patient. But the studies that have been done uh, with these procedures have actually shown that a large majority of the patients who undergo thrombectomies do have a favorable outcome, meaning that they either get back to normal or they're leading uh, a near normal independent life. And that's something that we've not been able to offer these patients in the past
2: and and that is um, very exciting that um, those statistics. But then also, um, even for the patients who don't necessarily clinically improve a lot, um, sometimes just taking out the um, occlusion can prevent a patient from having life-threatening um, swelling of the brain that can sometimes come with strokes. And so, um, you know, we found you know a number of benefits that maybe weren't even realized previously with thrombectomy.
1: And if I can just add one additional um, thing, uh, a lot of times in medicine, um, the, the benefit that a patient may receive is measured or reported in clinical studies as the number needed to treat or the number of patients that must receive a treatment or a therapy in order to benefit from it. And the number needed to treat that we found with some of these procedures is uh, sometimes just under three patients. And, and looking at other therapies that are out there in medicine, that's a pretty phenomenal number to be able to see something that low that just treating a few patients um, will result in at least one of them having a significant benefit with returning to either a a completely normal or near normal, normal functional status. In the past, if we were not able to offer that treatment to the patient, the likelihood of them returning to that level of functioning was probably less than 15 to 20%.
0: Dr. Liptrep, does it require a learning curve? Are all institutions doing it now for select patients?
2: Um, the procedure certainly does require have a learning curve. Um, people who perform mechanical thrombectomy for stroke are typically neurosurgeons, uh, radiologists, or neurologists who've had specialized training. Um and, uh, you know, it, these um, doctors go through residency and then often go through fellowship or a number of fellowships to be able to do the procedure. And so not all institutions have um, the capability of, uh, of performing a thrombectomy. And so that's why um, patients will often be transferred to a, a facility that can. So, you know, for instance, uh, we at um, UAB get patients uh, transferred to us from a number of facilities so that we can um, potentially offer them this treatment.
0: Dr. Lyerly, before we wrap up, give us your final thoughts on referring physicians to a designated stroke center, such as UAB Medicine, why you feel that's so important, and what you'd like them to know about any exciting advances in stroke treatment.
1: So I think uh, right now we're seeing um, more and more specialization of different hospitals to offer different treatments and different levels of care for stroke patients, including certification levels of primary stroke centers and comprehensive stroke centers. It's been fairly well established that patients who undergo care at a certified stroke center of any type have better outcomes and are more likely to be put on correct medications to reduce the risk of having another stroke in the future. Because Comprehensive stroke center designation means that the hospital is able to provide 24-7 intervascular care, as well as access to neurologists, neurosurgeons, and neurocritical care physicians. So they really get the whole package of stroke care. And so one message here is that it's better for the patient uh, in their best interest to be referred from a community hospital to a stroke hospital so that they can get that comprehensive level of care throughout their hospitalization. Furthermore, these hospitals also have designated areas within the hospital called stroke units where the nurses are particularly well-trained in stroke care and neurological assessment, as are all of the therapists. And so that's why it's very meaningful to get a patient to a certified stroke program so that they can um, receive this care. What is new is obviously where we are with this thrombectomy, and I think most physicians have um, become pretty accustomed to the time windows that we have for using Alteplase up to 4.5, half hours, but the knowledge about the time windows for endovascular care are, have just not been well disseminated down to the community And so we still see a lot of hesitation among referring physicians to get a patient to a stroke center at a timely manner because they may not be aware that we do have additional therapies that we didn't have even five years ago to offer these patients, um, particularly as Dr. Liptrap was um, explaining, using perfusion imaging to select a patient um, even up to 24 hours. Hours is something that really has only come about over the past two to three years and certainly we want to be able to get to those patients as quickly as we can and so for me that has been the biggest thing that has happened in stroke. We've gone from being able to uh, only take care of a patient out from a few hours from when their symptoms have started. We're now able to potentially take care of patients 24 hours which five years ago people would have thought was completely unheard of.
0: Dr. Liptrap, last words to you. What would you like referring physicians to know about some of the exciting advances in mechanical thrombectomy and why they should refer to UAB?
2: Well, at UAB, we um, do 150 to 200 and we're on track to do you know even more uh, stroke cases per year. So we have a lot of experience um, and we've got great neurointerventionalists here, Dr. Harrigan, Uh, Mark Kerrigan and Dr. Jesse Jones are both my partners and they're excellent. Um, We have a great um, relationship with our uh, neurologists and our neurocritical care um, team. And so we all uh, work very well together to provide the most comprehensive care for the patient. Um, regarding mechanical thrombectomy itself, there are currently um, you know, a number of techniques we use to try to get the clot out, whether it's aspiration, um, stent retrievers, which kind of grab the clot and help you pull it out, and um, flow reversal to aid in the um, removal of the clot. Um, and neurointerventional radiology is a field where there are advances happening pretty much every day um, with new catheters, new techniques, and um You know, at our group, we like to stay on the cutting edge of um, what the most, uh, you know, most current treatments are. So um, it's a very exciting time. And, um, you know, in the future, I'm sure that uh, we're going to just be able to improve outcomes for patients.
0: Thank you, doctors, so much for coming on and sharing your incredible expertise. It is an exciting time in your field, and thank you again for joining us. A community physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST. And that concludes this episode of UAB MedCast. For more information on resources available at UAB Medicine, please visit our website at uabmedicine.org slash physician. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UAB Medicine podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.